as we think about Thanksgiving, James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Uh, There's only two verses that I have here this morning, so uh, uh, I would ask you to to look along in your Bibles. And and one of the things, as we already heard this morning, and you already know with me, is the, the, the high importance of Scripture. And so I would, and I know not everyone's used to bringing their Bibles, and sometimes we forget them. And so you do have the Pew Bible in front of you specifically for that purpose, so you can open that up to page 1011 and follow along there. We come uh, to worship service to, to worship God, of course, and we do it through His Word. And so it just makes sense that we, we look at His Word. So this morning, I want to read John chapter, or, I'm sorry, James chapter 1, verses 17 to 18. And God's inspired and inerrant Word reads, Every good thing given, and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. Father, we now ask a blessing upon the reading of Your word. And Father, as we depend upon the power of Your Spirit to illuminate this text for us. We pray, Lord, that something applicable can be extracted from it this morning as we spend the next few minutes understanding why You would have us look at this text on this particular morning. Father, we do believe that You have orchestrated it so on purpose and so We do pray that your servants would listen. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've called this here this morning, the heart of Thanksgiving. The heart of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a lot about traditions, is it not? We have so many traditions, and traditions can come from uh, families. They can come from culture. You know, we've lived around a few different states, Cheryl and I, as we ventured around the countryside. Uh, trying to be faithful to God's calling. And, and one thing that I know is that every, every community and every uh, uh, people group, if you will, uh, has traditions and has culture. And one thing that I also know, that each culture that we live in, we think that that is the, the predominant tradition across the land. And, and that's okay. Uh, but each family and each community is very unique. And you might have done something very similar. I'm a bit of an introspective type person. And so as I reflected back upon Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving was always one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with hunting. Hunting was, used to be a big part of my life. Uh, not so much anymore as it was at one time. And now I just hunt in my mind. Uh, but Thursday mornings, Thanksgiving morning, I would often uh, either go sight in my gun because gun season started. I'd take my shotgun in Ohio. That's all we were allowed to use a shotgun. And so I would take it on Thursday mornings and go to the range with the guys and we'd shoot our guns and then come back and eat and things like that. And in the afternoon, someone would end up getting a busted lip or something as we attempted to play tackle football. And that was kind of traditions that we did uh, growing up. Sometimes we'd go rabbit hunting uh, before we went. And so there's so many of these things uh, that I have and that I'm sure you have some of your own traditions that you will even do this particular Thanksgiving morning. There's one thing, though, that I think that we all share in common, no matter what some of those personal traditions may be, and that is food, right? We gather around the table, and there's a, there's a centerpiece, and usually it's a, it's a big old turkey, right? 
Or maybe you, you carve the turkey before you, you... That's an interesting word anyway. Why do we carve the turkey? But nonetheless, we put this turkey in front of the table, and there he is, and we put pie and things like that around the table. And, and of course, we have to have our dressing or stuffing. How do you all say it? Stuffing. Stuffing. That's incorrect, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and that's the cultural thing, right? We have these little cultural things that we do. And we say stuffing or we say dressing, and, and it's all good. Uh, and I know living here, one of the traditions that, that I think should be banished, um, I have your attention now, don't you? And you know where I'm going to go already, and that is oysters. No, no, come on, man. Oysters were created to clean the water in the bay, not to eat. Hey, okay, there's a few. Okay, there's a few Midwesterners among us, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's always a big one. And I know your fried oysters are the best. I haven't had yours yet, I know. And, and, and no thank you, I'll pass. Um, but, that, you know, that's fine, you eat oysters, but it's tradition, right? These are the little things that we have in common, and these are the little things that we can be thankful for come Thanksgiving week, right? We all have these traditions, and we can, have, we can have fun with them and things like that, and then there's also the not-so-fun stuff when, when the grumpy uncle comes over, and depends if you ask my nieces and nephews. That may be me, actually. I'm not sure. Uh, but the grumpy uncle comes over, and there's things, oh, you don't talk about that when Uncle James comes around. Uh, that type of thing, right? There's those traditions, too, that we have at Thanksgiving that we have in families. And, and though some of those things, obviously, we don't like, but still, it's those traditions, those Thanksgiving moments that build and draw us close together as a family. And this Thanksgiving, uh, uh, have you all, do you all know I'm a grandpa now? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to stop that one. Uh, <laughs> I wore that out a long time ago. You know, but Thanksgiving, and from one year to the next, uh, there's these different things that, that are incorporated into our, our Thanksgiving. And I, and I do trust and pray that, that as you go through this week that you can build those memories with your families and, and your friends and continue on those traditions because it's all about community. It's all about community. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning also, is it not? It's about community. You know, you can't worship by yourself. There's times you listen to podcasts and church services and all that good stuff throughout the week. Totally get it. But you come together this morning, not to hear me ramble, but to see each other and to worship God together. And so I do trust that you have a, have a fantastic, thankful Thanksgiving week. And that. Uh, so the, the, this morning, get all that said, uh, because this morning I want to I focus our attention on something else that we very much already know. There's, there's nothing new I can tell you. Uh, and that is the heart of thanksgiving. What is at the heart of thanksgiving? Right? What is at the heart of thanksgiving? And so that's why I chose to read this particular text here in, John, in James chapter. I keep saying John. I'm sorry we were there for so long. I'll probably be saying that forever. But John chapter 1... Uh, <laughs> James chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 17. In the first verse, uh, we will see the goodness of God and also the character of God as we stay focused upon the heart of thanksgiving. James starts out verse 17 and says that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Is from above. The goodness of God. We see it right at the beginning of this verse as he says every good thing. 
Now, good, we must understand it as, as useful, something that is, is beneficial, something that is, is useful for us, something that is very beneficial from us comes from God, as Romans 15, 14 says. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am also convinced that you yourself are full of goodness. Same sense of the word, you are full of usefulness. You are full of, you're, you're beneficial to the body of Christ, to the body of, of believers. And that's how James is starting out here this morning. And he says that every perfect gift is from above. Now, perfect is just simply the highest standard. It's not lacking, it's not lacking any moral quality at all. And so James wants us to understand in the goodness of God that there is no lacking, there, there's, no, there, no, there's nothing lacking that God is giving us that comes from his moral character, and that he indeed, anything that he gives us is beneficial and is very useful for us. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew said, or uh, Jesus said there in Matthew, he said that you, we as fathers and mothers, know how to give good things to our children, do we not? We know how to give all these good things. And then Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater and says, so then, so much more does your Father in heaven. And so God draws upon, Jesus draws upon our own humanity and our own love for our children and says, you love your children, but I so much more even. And this is God's goodness that I want to place before you as we think about the heart of thanksgiving. The second thing I want you to notice from verse 17 is God's character. God's character. We've seen God's goodness, which stems from his character. He continues in the 17th verse by saying, coming down from the Father of lights. Coming down, coming down from the Father of lights. And that is, uh, we shouldn't be uh, too perplexed by coming down from the Father of lights. Lights is just all seeing, all clarity, power over darkness as the ancient world much looked at and seen such things. We can believe that every good thing and every perfect thing is a gift because it is spoken from the creator of the universe, from the creator of all that is out here. The other morning, as I go on my four-mile walks about most mornings, and i got to get up really early now because I like to do it in the dark. Um, and so, I, did you see the eclipse? You probably didn't because it was like 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> you know, most people are sleeping at 4.30 in the morning. But it was beautiful as you've seen the bright moon and you've seen the eclipse. And I was thinking about this passage. What must have I thought a couple thousand years ago if I seen such a thing happen? And the ancient world had great concern and great cause because they couldn't understand uh, some of the things that happened with the sun and the moon and, 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 and the falling stars, the shooting stars and all those things brought great anxiety to their life. And yet here James is saying that it is the God who created all that, the God who is in control of all that, that is who we look to for our goodness. That is who we look to for our perfection. In Genesis chapter 1, of course, we see the creation of the lights. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 18, it was, uh, was says there in the creation story, it says, then God said, oh, let there be light in the expanse of heavens to separate the day and the night, and let there be signs for the seasons and the days and the years, 
and let them be lights to expand the heavens, to give light on the earth, and so on and so forth. We're quite familiar with that passage. It is this God who created the very sun, the moon, and the stars that James is now saying we can look to for all goodness and for all perfection. It is this God who all our goodness comes from. The sun, the moon, they have variations, but the Creator, there is no change. There is only clarity, no confusion, no uncertainty. There's only consistency. I don't know about you, but my life, there's variations. In my life, there can be some inconsistencies, as you well know. In my life, there can be some confusions, as you also know. And yet James is saying, but with God, the God that we serve, there is no confusion. There is no lack of clarity. In Malachi 3, 6, he said this, For I am Yahweh, and I do not change. That is the heart of thanksgiving. As we think about our own life, as we think about some of the uncertainties that come within them, we can look to the Father of lights for our securities. We have seen the consistency, we see the dependability of God in this first verse. But what I want to do now is I want to show you why I chose these two verses for this Thanksgiving week of 2021. And I want you to show you the heart of our thankfulness might be a better way of saying it. I want you to show you the heart of Thanksgiving and why this morning I want our minds specifically to be drawn to the Father. Now, the pinnacle of all life, you could say, is, is quite simply our birth. Our birth. Now, you could argue with that a little bit, but, you know... Right? I mean, without our birth, there is no life outside of that, is there not? Without our physical birth, right? And so you can say the pinnacle of our physical existence is our very birth. And so I want to take that just a bit step, a step further that James does here in verse 18. And I also want to say that, that our spiritual life, just like our physical life starts, the pinnacle of it is at conception, so our spiritual life starts, if you will, at regeneration, at regeneration, the new life. Now, regeneration is just a theological term that you can use for born again or, or be saved, uh, whatever terminology you want to use there. And I would offer you this morning that to say a born-again Christian, that's a bit redundant because there is no born-again Christian who's not a Christian. There is no Christian who's not born again. It's one and the same. But that's what we understand it as. It's, that's when life starts, is when we are, are born again, when we are regenerated. And just as we have, just as we have no say in our physical life, so too the author of James is telling us we don't have a lot of say when it comes to our spiritual life. Both our physical life and our spiritual life is a miracle. It is a miracle. As we think about this Thanksgiving day, we are thankful to our parents. We are thankful for our life. And yet we had nothing to do with being born into this world. This Thanksgiving, I want to offer to you this morning that we can be thankful and that we must be thankful the miracle of salvation. The miracle that God chose to save you. Chose to save me. Let's look at verse 18 for a moment. Verse 18, James says, in the exercise... Of his will. Whose will? His will. God's will. In the exercise 
of God's will. In John chapter 1, verse 12, But as many as have received Him, God, to them God gave the right. Do you see who gave the right? God gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe, that's our part, right? Who believe in His name. We must receive and we must believe. This is our part. James or John chapter 1, verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of God. Now what's John saying here? John is saying that you weren't born, your lineage doesn't matter. Your genealogy does not matter. Just because you were born into the tallest family does not make Brad a Christian. Just because I was born into the Wengard family does not make me a Christian. We are not Christians because of our family. We are also not Christians because of the will of the flesh. Because, as, as John tells us, not the will of the flesh. Now, what's he saying there? By me willing it, right? I, I can't just decide that, yes, this is exactly what I want. There's something that comes with that. There, there, there's a response. There's an action from me, but it does not have to do with my own will and my own desire. It doesn't have to do with the will of man. You know, as a grandpa now for two months, and i got a face time this morning for my grandbaby. And that was fantastic. So my day started out great. But there's, no, there's nothing that I want more than for the little Addie J to surrender her heart and life to Christ. That is my absolute greatest desire as a grandpa. Right? And that, so, but I can't will that for her. I, I can't just tell her, Addie, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Well, actually, I can say that. And I will say that. But it's in the will of God. It's by the will of God that we are saved. And so listen this morning. Children of God are children of God because of the will of God. Children of God are children of God because of the will of God. In the exercise of His will. That's what John, James. That's what James here is telling us in the exercise of God's will. Now, exercise. Of course, you you know I, I go here with these little word studies, but I don't want to bore you with them. But I think it's valuable for you this morning to hear. It's just a sense of a, a, to plan on a course of action, intend, plan, will. You see why I think it's important to understand the meaning behind. The English word exercise. It's a plan. It was God's will. Are you understanding? Are you tracking with me this morning? Do you understand why I have chosen to call this the heart of thanksgiving? If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are so because the Father of lights exercised His will. His will. Think about that. You're no accident. We are no accident. God chose you purposefully. 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 I don't know how you can be uh, focused on anything other this Thanksgiving season than that understanding. 
as Romans also tells us, that God demonstrates his own love for us, for you. When? While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you and I. While we were yet sinners, not when we got our life straightened out, but while we were yet sinners, God sent his only son to die on our behalf. I'd seen a little story. I like to, to read some of Augustine's stuff. And uh, he was quite the... Um, he was quite, had quite the life before he was saved, before God saved him. And after his conversion, the story goes that, that a woman that had been one of his girlfriends and that he had lived with for a while met him on the street. And they passed, and he called out to Augustine. Augustine didn't respond, and she kept persisting and went down and chased after him. She said, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine said, I know, but it is no longer I. It is no longer lie. That is the story. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Listen, a person who is truly a believer, who is truly regenerated, who is truly born again, that person's life will reflect a changed life. A changed life. And the only way that a life can be changed is by a miracle working of God. See, we can come to church this morning, and I'm glad you're here. If you came this morning thinking because this is going to make you a good person, well, it makes you a good person for being here, sure. But going to church, doing all the right things, do not, does not make us a Christian. It's the changed life that is your evidence of being born again. A life that says, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet their life doesn't demonstrate any of the attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't see a heart. You can't see the heart, but it certainly calls that heart into question. So how does a, a God, how does God turn a sinner into a saint? How, how does God turn a sinner into a saint? Well, let's continue on in our verse here this morning. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Brought forth literally means to give birth, to be pregnant. Again, a Greek lexicon, uh, the bedag that I depend upon very much, I'll just read from its definition, of delivery of that which one has been pregnant. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but literally to give forth. We need to understand that he, gave, he, he brought forth literally as someone giving birth. And he done it by the word of truth. He done it through the Word, done it through what has been recorded for us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 to 3, Peter wrote for us there, he said that for you have been born again, not, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Peter, or Peter goes on and he quotes Isaiah and he says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, the flower falls off, but the love of God endures forever. That's the end quote of Isaiah. Peter adds, and this is the word that I preached to you. See, we are born again. We are brought forth by the word of truth. John and the rest of the scriptures tells for us. Listen, there are so many false teachers. There are so many false preachers, as I talked about last week. Their, their message is one that leads to death. 
Now, I want to come back to James here and look a few verses earlier than that. In James chapter 1, verse 13, where James starts out a bit on the negative side, very much so, and he says, Let no one say to you when I am tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, by his own desires. Verse 15, and when those desires, when that lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See, James is having a bit of a, a word play here for us. He's saying that, listen, birth, our own desires, our own wills, the things that, 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 that we lust after, if you will, the, the, the material things, those things that consume our hearts or consume our minds, consume our time, if they're not focused after God, they will actually give forth, bring forth, give birth to death. And James here says, no, there is a better way. It is the word that brings forth life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul told Timothy there as he was passing the baton on to Timothy, his protege, and he said, be diligent to preserve yourself, approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because you accurately handle the word of truth. Because you actually and accurately handle the word of truth. Everything starts within the text. That's why I'm constantly telling you that doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. The things we believe matter. Not that we're saved by our belief. Not why we were saved by a formula. We're not, we're not formulae people. And yet it's through the scriptures that we are indeed saved. John or Romans chapter 10 verses 14 Paul writes this, he says, For then, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? How will they hear unless they send a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Sent is apostle, sent is just disciple, and we're all sent. We're all sent to preach the word, to share the word, to talk about the word of truth. So we have been born again by the Father, exercising His will through the word of truth, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 14, 6 tells us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. It's so popular in our culture today that, well, that's your truth. Well, that's your truth. Well, there's multiple ways up the mountain as the story goes. The Bible would argue with that. The Bible would very much disagree with that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But we need to transition here this morning, and we need to ask the why question. If God has exercised His will and chose to save us, and we have answered that call, why? Why would He do that? We finish up with the verse... 18, or 17, excuse me, verse 17, it tells us, no, I was right, verse 18, so that, this tells us why, we would be a kind of first fruits among His 
creation, among His creatures, you could say. Romans 8.19 tells us, For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the redemption of what? The Son of Man. For the Son of Men. Us. We are the first fruits of Christ. In the New Testament, Christians are God's first fruit. I could go back through the Old Testament and and fill you in on the first fruits and the meanings of all that, but you probably know a lot of that. but, But the New Testament tells us that it's not the first fruit of the harvest, which, by the way, think about that, farmers. When God in the Old Testament required your first fruit. You had no idea if there was going to be a second harvest, did you? God said, give to me first, even without knowing there's a second harvest. You bring that over to the New Testament, obviously we can also make that application there, (laughs) that our total dependency is still on God. So in the New Testament, Christians are the first fruits. James calls us a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Listen, we belong to, we are a part of, of the countless multitude that is symbolically represented in Revelation as the 144,000. Revelation 14.4 tells us that who have been purchased from among men as the first fruits to the God and to the Lamb. That is us as Christian people. That is why this thanksgiving, we must focus upon the heart of thanksgiving. Those who have heard, those who have received, those who believed. Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, as we wrap this thing up this morning, and, and, and we've been here focused on this long enough, but as we think about that this morning, and we think about the marriage supper of the Lamb, as we think about the word of truth going out, as we think about God exercising His will to choose to save us who were still in our sin. It is that why we should be so thankful this morning on this Thanksgiving week. And so obviously I have to ask you the question, have you responded to that invitation of the message of truth? God has put it out there for us. He has called us to to preach the message of truth, to share that message of truth. You have received it, you have heard it. Have you believed it? Romans 10.8, if you confess, it's so simple, right? If you confess with your mouth, what, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not the government, not anybody else. Caesar is, or Jesus is Lord. If you confess that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the message this Thanksgiving morning. I do pray and trust that as you go through this week and think about what you are thankful for, that you do come back to the heart of thanksgiving. And that you do come back and reflect upon your own life and what the meanings, the challenges, the struggles, and and all those things that we all have and that we all go through. And keep the first thing the first thing, and that is to know that if you have responded to the message of truth, you are eternally and ever a son or daughter of the Father of lights. Father, I pray this morning that um, that your spirit would have its way among us. Father, it's only you that know the hearts and the minds. Is it only you who knows the things that bring us great joys and the things that bring us 
I pray, Lord, that you would help those things stay in the right perspective this Thanksgiving week. And I do pray, as we reflect upon our lives and reflect upon Thanksgiving, Lord, that you would be first and foremost in our hearts and our minds, not only this week, but forever. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.